0: This week on the Maximal Being Podcast.
1: I'm on the plunger, pushing that medication. That's, that's my balance because as you said, Dr. Monk, it's constant bing, bing.
0: As Halloween's approaching, Maximal Beings, that sinking feeling that you get while you're sitting at home is not a ghost or a monster. It's anxiety. With anxiety on the rise here in America, many of you may be feeling helpless, But fret not, Maximal Beings, because Ellie Mock-Taylor and the team from Maximal Being are here to help. On today's podcast, we talk about the state of anxiety in America, how has anxiety manifested, and the other effects of anxiety in your life. We also discuss medication pros and cons, exercises and cognitive behavioral therapy, serotonin, dopamine, and neurochemistry, and then we also discuss how mindfulness is not just for hippies. So listen on, Maximal Beings, and lower that stress level. Do us a favor, Maximal Beings, and leave us a comment or review. Hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know so that we can get the word out. Welcome to Maximal Beings a GI doc and ICU nurse that break down the science so you can exceed your gut health, nutrition, and fitness goals. So let's smash the bro science and optimizing your health with your hosts, Doc Mock and RN Graham. What's going on, Maximal Beings? It's Doc Mock here, and joining me today is, of course, RN Graham down in Miami and a special guest who I have known for her entire life, Ellie Mock. The reason why my sister is on the podcast today, she is a uh, a licensed healthcare professional. She is in the mental health field. She's counseling the children of Maryland and working on uh, improving um, their anxieties, their depression, and their coping, both with life pre and post COVID. Today on the podcast, where you know many of you may be stuck inside, whether it be your jobs have changed or, God forbid, you've lost your jobs. You can't make it to the gym now, and you're looking for ways to improve your stress. Well, we're going to talk about stress management as well as anxiety today on the podcast. As always, my, I'm Doc Mock. I'm an advanced GI doctor here in Cleveland, Ohio. That's a GI doctor that specializes in fancy procedures related to cancer, and I specialize in nutrition and gut health. And joining me down in Miami is R.N. Graham.
1: Hello, Maximal Beings. R.N. Graham here. I am a registered nurse, uh, ICU nurse down here in South Florida. I also work on the COVID units down here. I am a former NPC, National Physique competitor, um, and that's basically it for me. I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to my good friend, Ellie, also known as Lenny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, RN Graham. Um, my name Ellie Mock-Taylor. I am a uh, licensed professional counselor in the state of Maryland. i um, working in Baltimore City right now at Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. in their children's uh, outpatient clinic. So, working mostly with kids, teenagers, and families, um, working on, you know, just like Doc Mock was saying, working through coping skills and anxiety and depression and kind of a whole bunch of different mental health uh, difficulties that kids go through.
0: So uh, just for the listeners out there, you know, I'm sure all of you are feeling it in your own anxieties, or maybe you're, you have new anxieties that are popping up, but this is a national phenomenon. And if you look at the data from the World Health Organization, the rates of anxiety and depression are going up at least six to 7%. And that, I would say that that's a very conservative uh, measurement, There was also a study that was recently published in the Lancet, which is a top medical journal, and they estimated out of the UK that the rates are as high as up 9%, and that's from 18% to 27%. So clearly anxieties are getting worse. There are a lot of things that can be feeding into anxieties, but before we get into that, I figured I would turn it over to the expert just to define what anxiety is. So to you, Ellie Mock-Taylor. (laughs)
2: Thanks, Dagmar. Yeah, so anxiety is, uh, you know, I think it's a widely used term or word, but, you know, in the mental health field, it is the worry or thought that something will or will not happen. Um, It's pretty common. Everybody has anxieties. There's normal amounts of anxiety. You know, it's what gets us to complete our day-to-day tasks and what gets us to work on time and to pick up our kids on time. But when it really becomes a difficulty or what we would consider a mental illness, I don't really like that word, but that's the, you know, the term, um, would be when it interferes with your functioning. So you're not able to make it on time or you're so worried that you don't leave or um, sit and kind of ruminate about all the things that could go wrong or may not happen. That's my, uh, my definition there, Dakmak.
0: Yeah, Uh, Aaron Graham. There are a lot of other ways that anxieties can also present in terms of the medical world, right? I mean, you see it, I'm sure, in your patients, even in the ICU. I certainly see it in the GI world. Um, What are some things that you've noticed in terms of symptoms of anxiety as a healthcare professional?
1: Well, especially in the ICU, where you know a lot of people do get depressed and have a lot of anxiety about their ongoing health. Um, You see uh, people have problems sleeping. Um, they will have sometimes have over insomnia, which basically they are constantly sleeping. Um, they can also have issues with eating. Uh, there can be those who don't eat and there's going to be those that eat a lot to deal with their anxiety. Um, you also have things, one of the major things, of course, is depression when it comes to anxiety. Because as as Ellie uh, pointed out, when you have this much anxiety in you, you, your functioning just basically shuts down in a lot of of situations. Um, And because of that, people do go into stages of depression. So Mm -hmm. those are the major things that we see uh, in the ICU, not eating, eating too much, um, sleeping a lot, inability to sleep, agitation too, and depression.
0: Ellie, I mean, do you see a big overlap between anxiety and depression um, in your clients?
2: Yeah, I would say um, almost always. So, you know, part of it is that by the time they come to seek professional help, they're at a pretty bad state. So a lot of times there is a lot of other overlapping difficulties, but um, really it becomes, you know, this like what came first or are they both present? Um Like RN Graham was saying, all of the things that cause anxiety or symptoms of anxiety can actually lead to depression, right? So if you're ruminating, you're sitting inside your house and um, you tend to isolate, right? You're not going to go out and you're going to be with people. You tend to feel more down because you're like, you're constantly thinking of the state of the world or how awful things are, all the bad case scenarios. So then your mind starts to click into that all the time. Uh, You're withdrawing from activities. It's harder for you to get out of bed. So that all leads to depression, you know, most of the time I would say the population I'm working with either comes in one led to the other, both of them have overlapped, um, but they certainly have a lot of correlation together, Dr.
0: Yeah, and I think with the coronavirus right now, we're seeing a lot of direct stressors related to COVID-19. Think you know, People are worried about following social distancing. They're worried about their loved ones that they can't see. They're worried about their own you know, impact and infection risk when they go out to the store, say. But then there are a lot of other secondary anxieties. There was a, a great editorial in the New England Journal um, recently, within the last few weeks, which um, described a lot of these COVID-related stressors. Some of the secondary, um, they called them adversities that people suffer are economic loss. There are also psychosocial factors, which they said are direct depression and anxiety and um, preoccupations. And then um, indicators of vulnerability was also another category, which means preexisting medical conditions, right, which we know will predispose you to worse coronavirus, um, so I just thought that that was an interesting way to kind of break down the direct COVID related changes. But, you know, we're going to focus on the positive here, right? You know, yeah. it's not all doom and gloom, <laughs> right? We don't have to be like like how the news has been recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to come up with some solutions for you. So and Graham, what are you doing right now to, to work on your anxieties and prevent anxieties and, and depression in the fitness world?
1: Exercise, exercise, exercise. Honestly, I think moving in any form, whether it's just walking outside, whether it's hitting a gym safely, of course, um, the first thing that does is that just gets your mind off of everything. That's a clear space, and the gym should always be a clear space for you, as well as anything to do outside. Um, Whether it's going for a hike, going for a walk, you just need to escape the world sometimes. Pop on some headphones, focus on everything else, except for what's going on in the news, except for what's going on, you know, in the world outside of you. So uh for me, I love, of course, I love fitness. So going to the gym, even prior to COVID, going to the gym, pushing some weights, you know, hitting a heavy bag, whatever it may be, it just helps me to get stressed out. And it's proven. I mean. There's many studies out there. You can go on countless websites, countless medical journals, and it's proven that working out releases endorphins, and that leads to just better outcomes as far as mental health goes. So, uh, Ellie, in in your profession, you know, I know you deal with kids a lot. (laughs) Do you find that kids that are more active, generally speaking, are less... And have less anxiety, less depression.
2: That's a really great question. You know, I was, and it was actually making me think a lot about some of the families I've been working with. When you were mentioning your own routine or regimen, it's certainly something we practice and we preach and we talk a lot about with the families I work with. I think that um, the ones who are able to actually follow through and implement it, which is part part of the battle and probably one of the most difficult things, is taking that first step to actually do it. And when you're able to do it, I have, I would say hundred percent of the time the kids say they feel much better and it can be something as small as, um, you know, Baltimore city was on stay at home and you weren't even allowed to go outside of your home. A lot of families live in areas that are not so nice either. So we were coming up with, you know, uh, obstacle courses in your house and running stairs up and down and who can sprint to the refrigerator the fastest. And, you know, even any movement like that is better than being sitting on the couch and not doing anything just because of those endorphins. So it certainly is helpful when they're able to follow through and actually do it. And it's fun too. Like some people like fitness and like doing the gym and the weights, but even just, you know, playing catch with your kid or walking around the block, taking your dog for a walk or something like that can also have the same type of release and make you feel good too.
0: Yeah, Ellie's always been an exceptionally innovative and creative person her entire <laughs> life. And I love the fact that she's implementing those, you know, core concepts in her personality into her job to help uh, these kids. That's wonderful. Yeah, one, oh. yeah.
1: go ahead. So, sorry. so now I have, a, I have an additional question for you. Um, I'm sure that you prescribe medication to um, your clients um, and your patients. Um, what are some of the side effects that you see with the medications that are prescribed?
2: Um, well, so I don't actually do them myself because I'm not a psychiatrist within Mm -hmm. Maryland. We have psychiatrists that do that. However, they work in our practice. So we work very closely with them. Um, you know, we have, it's very different with kids, I would say compared to adults, but generally there are some GI upset, you know, you can have some stomach aches and headaches and things like that. Um, specifically for anxiety medication. That's commonly the biggest things. Um, Very rarely, you know, obviously you can have increased thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself, harm yourself. And, you know, just as a disclaimer too, I think as we're talking through all this, if there are any listeners that end up feeling that way, feeling like they want to hurt themselves or kill themselves, that's always a sign you need to go see professional help, go to the ER, go to, you know, call 911, something like that. But generally speaking, they're, um, you know, they they tend to be pretty mild. Now, the danger in that for adults too is sometimes doctors will prescribe high doses immediately, and those side effects can be way worse. Whereas with kids, they tend to go much lower, much slower. It's kind of the low and slow is what they say. So that's always something to kind of take into consideration for adults is just keeping an eye on those side effects if that is something they end up using, RN-gram.
1: Now, the reason why I brought that up is because I've also done a lot of research and articles out there that uh, say that in conjunction with pharmaceuticals, um, exercise is always uh, a great add-on to those Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, um, one of the articles I read showed that that the health benefits from um, exercising actually allowed some people to jump off of their medication. Mm-hmm. Now, by all means, if you are prescribed a medication by, by any type of licensed practicing physician, you should take that medication unless you are having side effects, which is something that you do need to bring up with that professional. But I just want to incorporate the fact that exercise is that important and exercise mm-hmm. has that much effect that working together with medication, you're going to see greater outcomes. Doc Mock, do you have anything to say regarding that?
0: Yeah, I I read that study too. It's by Chalder et al from 2012 in the frontiers of uh, internal medicine. And so it it was a really great, uh, greatly done study where they looked at people that were on standard of care. So they didn't compare it to placebo, right? They gave them the same cognitive behavioral therapy, which uh, Ellie will talk about a little bit later and pharmaceutical therapy. But then they also had a group that they added on exercise. So the reason why that's a really good study is because you're looking at a single variable and it's more real world applicable, right? This is the way that people are going to be. And they found, yeah, that people did better when they exercise as compared to not. And I mean, all of you that exercise regularly out there, you know that, and you feel that when, when you have those days where you're not able to exercise, you kind of hit a slump and it's because there is a direct impact on your neurochemistry. Um, Ellie, do you want to just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the, the hormones in your brain and, and, um, you know, what they do to the way that people feel?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so there's this chemical in your brain called serotonin and, um, what serotonin does is it kind of helps regulate your emotions and helps you feel happier. So the more anxious and the more depressed you can get the less serotonin that gets kind of passed through your neurons and chronic anxiety and chronic depression actually leads to kind of like this breaking down of the neurons that create the serotonin. So uh, people who are very anxious or very depressed actually chemically can't produce chemicals that make them feel good and feel happy. So, A lot of times, that's why the medication is added in. It kind of like kickstarts those uh, neurons to start firing again. I would say, R.N. Graham, like you were saying, um, exercise certainly does that as well. And then that's why that combination can be really effective because it's just like a boost from all different areas of all of the serotonin that'll make you feel good. You can then take away the medication because you're starting to produce it again and feel the effects of it. And then you still have the exercise that continues it without the medication um so by that combination together is probably a really good like starting point and then the exercise is more of a good long-term solution so you're not on a medication for the rest of your life
0: yeah and there actually are you know um talking about those particular hormones those same hormones serotonin dopamine norepinephrine that are in your brain that can make you feel depressed. If you have low serotonin, you know, dopamine, norepinephrine, if your system is revved up, you can feel anxious, uh, also low serotonin. Those are the same hormones in your GI tract in an area called the enteric nervous system, which is your GI tract's own nervous system that makes it move and shake. So that's called the brain gut access. And and that's a direct connection between your brain and your gut. So if you're feeling anxious upstairs and you're also feeling anxious downstairs, there is a reason for that. It is the same hormones. Mm. Um, And interestingly enough, looking at specific bacteria, the bacteroidetes, um, which are one type of good bacteria that lives in your, your colon and intestine, and lactobacillus. Lactobacillus, if you supplement with it, can actually increase your serotonin and dopamine levels. So there is some evidence to suggest that in people that have chronic gut conditions or mental health conditions that you can give probiotic, whether it be natural or in supplement form to to improve people's mental health or to improve the impact of their gut condition on their mental health. Again, we recommend talking to your healthcare providers, and and this is not a substitute for cognitive behavioral therapy and talking to a licensed therapist, but um, it may be something that you can talk to your healthcare provider about adding on to your existing treatment. Uh, Ellie what what else are you telling your clients to do these days when they're sitting at home you know either uh, not able to go to school and play with their friends or you know how, how do you or their parents are stuck at home all the time how do you tell them to to structure their day
2: um so actually in Maryland they started school on Tuesday so I would say in a in a positive light, even though they're doing mostly online, um, you know, which can be a challenge for families and a whole different reason, it at least provides more structure. But when the world first shut down, you know, that was really a challenge for a lot of families. And it's very understandable, it's like your entire life gets rocked. Uh, the most important thing, is to create some kind of structure, you know, how loose or strict you want to make it kind of depends on you, your family, your personality, right? Someone who's much more like type A and organized might want to even break it down to every half an hour, or hour, but some kind of routine that you can stick to on a daily basis is proven to help humans are like nature or a creatures of habit. So they like to be able to do the same things all the time. And it actually helps us kind of organize our brain, decrease our anxiety, decrease our stress. Um, And it takes 21 days to form a habit. So you really have to stick to it and just keep trying. It's okay if you don't do it the exact way you want it the first time or even seven times in. But generally, I say, you know, create some kind of schedule. I like to break it down like, an hour to three or four hours, like at a time that you want to get a certain amount of things done. You don't want to break it down to like 15 minute increments because that could create anxiety. Like, Oh, I'm coming up to the 15 minute mark and I haven't finished my, you know, whatever my breakfast or the kids aren't done brushing their teeth yet. You you know, that's going to throw off my whole day. Um, But the things you want to really consider is making sure that you have some kind of routine in the morning. Like you get up and brush your teeth and take a shower Um, or you want to go downstairs and have a cup of coffee and do uh, a gratitude journal and then go up and brush your teeth. And like you stick to that in morning and night every day. Um, On the same point too, you always want to throw in some kind of like meditation, relaxation, which I I can talk more about later. You know, if we want to talk more about what specifics that, that looks like at least one time a day to kind of just bring your, your mind back to the present moment certainly nutrition is a huge deal, right? Eating at least three meals a day. And I would even structure when you want to have those meals within an hour or so. I had a lot of people telling me like, man, I completely forgot I didn't even eat lunch today. Cause I was sitting in front of my computer answering emails for six hours, or uh, I slept through my alarms and I didn't have breakfast and now it's 12 o'clock or, you know, something like that. Um, like and Graham was mentioning too, definitely including movement, whether that's you know, lifting weights, walking your dog, playing with your kids, anything like that. I would say at least like, you know, try to fit in 15, 30 minutes a day is really good. Um, Any type of hobbies, activities you enjoy, obviously work, school, kids, all those things come into play too. But having some kind of connection to people too is really big as, as little as sitting down and having a snack with your kid and saying, Hey, you know, how did hybrid school go for you today? To let me call up my, you know, whatever, my friend from college and ask them how their week has been. Um, you know, humans are social creatures to varying degrees, but having that human connection really helps improve stress and helps improve anxiety and depression as well. So those were those are kind of the main things that I hit on when I'm working with my families. That
1: so I have a quick question for you, uh, Ellie. Sure. Now. You talked a lot about organizing your day. Mm-hmm. What about the stress that happens when you don't meet the goals that you have set for the day? How do you mm-hmm. tell people to mm-hmm. deal with that?
2: Oh, yeah. So, well, humans, we are by nature our own worst critics. So it is very common and normal. And this is part of the um, cognitive behavioral therapy that Takmak <laughs> was mentioning. But it's very normal for us to beat ourselves up about those kinds of things. Give yourself a break. Like, life is hard anyway, and COVID has thrown everyone for this loop, right? Like, you there's this impending what's going to happen, how are things going to be? Tomorrow can be different than yesterday. Um, give yourself a break. You know, you, you want to acknowledge, okay, I wasn't able to meet this goal, or this didn't happen, or I couldn't do this today. It's Okay how can I try again tomorrow, right? You've got to kind of tweak things and try things out. Something that looks good on paper or like a visual you create or you write it in your journal or whatever might not actually play out or your kid might get sick or your job might need you in a meeting in the middle of your meditation. Like it, you know, life happens and it's okay. The most important thing is not to beat yourself up about it and try again the next day. Um, The more times you can you give yourself that grace to try again, I think the more things will click into place and you'll find what works for you.
0: So Ellie, you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. Is that lying on a couch and listening to (laughs) the, you know, the therapist tell you about, you know, the interaction with your parents and your life now, or just tell us a little bit more about what that is.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, if if that's all I did, I wouldn't have any clients because what kid comes into a room and it's like, sure, I'll lay on this couch and tell you everything (laughs) I think of. Although I do probably have a few that I could think of that would enjoy that. Um, Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy is just like a really fancy way of saying the connection between what you think, what you feel and what you do. So that's the cognitive is the think, the behavioral is what you do. And they don't say anything about the feelings, but that kind of just... comes with therapy, right? You have to talk about how you feel. (laughs) Um, The idea behind it, you know, Dr. Aaron Beck is the one who invented this, this therapy. And the idea is that a situation will happen and your brain will have an automatic thought in a response to the situation. And depending on that thought, you then will react emotionally a certain way and behaviorally a certain way and um, physiologically. So like the heart racing or talking really fast or getting, um, you know, like a furrowed brow, if you're angry, like just kind of your body's response. And everybody's automatic thoughts are different depending on what they've experienced in their life. So you kind of have to look at what are you thinking in order to change everything else. But the tough thing is, people don't ever stop to think like, what went through my mind when I screamed at my daughter, they just I screamed at my daughter because she did something wrong and that made me mad. So in order to kind of work on those things, you have to take a look at like what was going through my head at that time. So that's kind of the basis of that docma.
0: Yeah. And all of the medical literature shows that cognitive behavioral therapy in concert with traditional medical therapies works better than either alone. So really, you know, talking to somebody like Ellie in addition to the medical end, it is really important. You should not do one or the other. It's it's an additive effect. And it's not one plus one equals two. It's yeah. multiplications of benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned a little bit about meditation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our traditional movies and television just show hippies that are sitting around <laughs> in a room saying, Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that what meditation is all about or is it something that I can do in the comfort of my own home?
2: (laughs) Well, it certainly could look like that. If you are a hippie and you enjoy having that mat in the room with the incense, like do your thing, go for it. But (laughs) most of the people I work with can't stand that kind of stuff and don't like doing it and think it's really strange. I also personally I struggled doing meditation quite a lot when I first entered into the field because I was like, I can't even cross my legs that way. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, So it really just breaks down to mindfulness. So mindfulness is the idea that you are living in the present moment, which is probably the most difficult and challenging thing to ever tell a human to do because our brains are wired to think about the future and the past and what's happening next door and what's happening with your child and your dog and Everything else, except for I'm sitting in this room at this moment thinking this. Um, And it's also probably one of the most important things for humans to do, also because thinking about all those other things and the dog and the, the kids is what causes the stress. So, mindfulness is just bringing your awareness to what's happening in your body and what's happening around you at the very present. It can look a lot in a lot of different ways. It can look like meditation where you're sitting in a quiet room and listening to someone telling you to take deep breaths or guided imagery is like imagining a beach or you're a bird flying through the air, things like that. Um, But mindfulness can also be active. You could do mindful walking, you could do mindful eating, you could do um, even mindful conversation. So for that, like just as kind of like an example, mindful eating is a really fun thing that my kids love doing. It's using your five senses to have like an experience where you're eating. So I do this thing with a chocolate kiss and you have to like hold it and you look at it and you say what you see, and then you open it a little bit and you say what you hear, right? And then you're allowed to like lick it and say what you taste and smell. you kind of have to sit and experience it. And then you start to think about, like, I keep thinking, I can't wait to eat this. I keep thinking, what is this crazy lady making me do? Why can't (laughs) I have this yet? Um, But, you know, the idea is that you're pausing and you're just experiencing this silly little activity where all you're focusing on is this Hershey kiss. And nothing else around you is supposed to be going through your brain. And the other side of that, too, is that you probably will have things that will pass through your mind because that's just normal. You just pay attention like, oh, now all of a sudden I'm thinking about my um, son who's sitting at daycare, you know, waiting for me to come pick him up. Okay, we'll finish this up and then you'll go get it. Right. So you just kind of pay attention to where your mind is going and just make a mindful effort to bring yourself back to what's going on right now. So that's kind of a good way of looking at meditation or mindfulness. Yeah
0: yeah i'm I'm a meditation mindfulness novice. You know, this is kind of like a I've been doing it for a few years now um, and made it more of a conscious effort in my daily practice. Um, but I have found it to be one of the most beneficial things that I do during the course of my day. You know, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, we're just wired to be thinking all over the place. You know, R and Graham and I at work. We have buzzers and lights mm-hmm. and things that are beeping. And everybody's saying, look here, do this. Can you do this? It's just a moment that all you have to do is think about what's going on in your head. Um, For our clients, when we're counseling them through their fitness programs, we give them a balance between their sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. and their parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is what you're using while you're training, right? It's that like, hard pumping, your heart's racing, your respiratory rate is going up. And the parasympathetic is your rest and digest. And if you don't strike a balance between those two things, you're going to overcompensate and potentially get injured or give up. And so I think taking some time to do things like yoga and to meditate are really great um, things to do. Aaron Graham, do you do anything like that in in terms of your training or are you just pedal to the metal physique
1: (laughs) no 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 um listen fitness is mental mental more than physical um if you aren't in the mental space you're not going to be focused on your workouts you're not going to be focused on feeling that pump so and i've said this before you see a lot of people in the gym and you know they're talking back and forth and they're working out but they're not focused on the workout themselves so I've learned in the years I've been working out and working out with different people, you get a better pump when you are focused on, you know, just what your body is doing. You have to be in that space. Like Mm -hmm. Ellie said, you really have to focus on, all right, if I'm doing a curl, I want to feel that the contraction of that muscle, or if I'm doing squats, I want to be in the space where I'm feeling my body and not being distracted by everything on the outside. I don't want to think about, Oh my gosh, did my kids finish their homework? No, that's that's not what I'm there for. I'm there to be in the space of myself. And it may seem a little selfish, but sometimes you have to do that. You know, Sometimes it has to be about you There's and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's why a lot of people suffer from a lot of mental health issues is they're so focused on everything else and they're not building up themselves. Um, I think in the name Maximal Being you have to be the best you before you can help anybody be the best them. So so definitely, when I'm in the gym or even when I'm, you know, outside walking or raking leaves, my mind is on the sound of the leaves raking or, you know, just having the the rake in my hand. Or um, if I'm at work, for example, and I'm pushing a medication, my mind is on my finger on on the plunger, pushing that medication. That's, that's my balance, because as you said, Doc Monk, it's constant bing, bing, mm-hmm. you know, there's always something going off. It, that's just how it is, and it will, it will drive you crazy. And for a lot of our patients that are seeing in the ICU, there's something called ICU psychosis. It's a real thing. You know, they're dealing with these sounds constantly. The hospitals, you're supposed to be in there to recover. Honestly, stressful. it's a stressful place. You want to see people get depressed, especially in the day we're in right now with COVID. It's there. You'll see it. I make sure I I tell the patients right now when when I go into the room and I see that they're low down, I try to tell them, "Listen, focus on yourself. Focus on the things that you you know that you want to do to get yourself out of here. Bring yourself up. But you know, think about you." I'll see them their wives will be calling their kids will be calling and what are they doing sending it to voicemail sending it to voicemail because they're so overwhelmed and i and when i see that i'm just like okay i get it turn off your phone focus breathe don't think about the fact that you're you're sick think about the fact that you're here you're going to get out you're going to get better so
2: i love that you brought up um like that sense of feeling selfish because that's like one of the biggest barriers that I have adults tell me, I mean, kids do, but more so adults is that like, I don't have time to do that. I have too many other things that I have to deal with and you validate that like, yeah, everybody has a lot of other things on their plate, but exactly like you said, like in order to be uh, the best version of yourself, you have to take that time. Like that has to be a priority and it's not selfishness because you're not going to be a good maximal being at all. Like you won't be a good person. You won't be a good parent, a good worker in any way, if you're always focused on other things and not taking time for yourself. Right. Like I say that in families with parents, especially you can, it helps you be present in every moment. If you learn to do that mindfulness, like you're saying, the raking, you learn like, okay, now I'm going to be present just with my kids for these 10 minutes. And now I'm going to be mindful to just be present in my job. And you actually can be much more effective in each part of your life when you can just focus on that at that moment. But it takes practice and it takes time to be able to do all those things.
0: Ellie, for the novices out there that are interested in starting a mindfulness or meditation practice, do you have any resources that you would send them to?
2: So, you know, I think it kind of depends on what they're, how they would like to start. I work a lot with teenagers, so they're all about the apps. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm always recommending things like um, Calm, Headspace, Smiling Minds are some really big apps right now. A lot of them are doing free, um, either 90 day trials, or I know Headspace has free. Um, for healthcare workers and for teachers and educators. And I think even for students, what I read recently, if you can put in your school, so that's kind of cool. There's a lot of podcasts and other uh, YouTube videos and things like that, where you can listen if you're more of like um, a visual and audio person. But even just looking up um, journaling prompts of how to write mindfully. Um there's a lot of things like where you just talk about like you write three things that happened that were that was good for you today. Um I've been doing that, God I don't know how many days we've been in quarantine at this point, but I've been doing <laughs> it since the beginning of since March 17th, because I can look back at my journal at the first one and I do three every day. Um, and it's been amazing like to just see the shift that happens when I'm having a really stressful day. I find it's because I haven't done that. If I didn't take those five minutes before I started my day to write about what I'm thankful for or what I'm excited about um, or what I'm proud of, it really, really impacts the way you feel. So it kind of depends on what kind of learner you are and how you want to start. But there are a lot of videos, prompts, podcasts, you know, um, apps, any number of those kinds of things.
0: Um, So I think uh, we're going to go to a commercial break. But before we do, Aaron Graham, you just want to kind of summarize what what we've been talking about, and and we'll um, head on to the next segment.
1: Uh, Well, we've been talking here with uh, Ellie Mott-Taylor, and she has just been really highlighting the fact of how we need to work on being in the moment, dealing with the outside stressors, focusing on our daily activities, um, and trying to just come together in a very challenging time that's full of stress and anxiety. Uh, She's really given us some great pointers on how to deal with it through our daily life.
0: So we'll be right back after a brief commercial break with RN Graham and Ellie Mock Taylor. You cannot supplement your way to health but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night, and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the Zenwise omega-3 fatty acid supplement, which is free of fish burps, and good for the environment. Head on over to maximalbeing.com iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528, and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to maximalbeancom Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. And we're back. Uh, so we're gonna listen, uh, we're gonna do some listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes from Nellie. And Nellie wants to know, what is the brain-gut axis? So we kind of touched on that already today a little bit. The brain-gut axis, uh, Nellie, is the link between your neurochemicals and the same chemicals that fire your enteric nervous system inside of your tummy. So that said, if you're anxious up top, you know, you're going to have upregulation of the neurotransmitters inside of your belly, which can lead to things like diarrhea, constipation, depending on who you are as a person. Um, There's a lot of great literature coming down the pipeline. The first papers that I remember seeing are in the inflammatory bowel disease realm. That's Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. These people tend to be young um, and very sick, and they have chronic inflammation that kind of damages their enteric nervous system and the signaling. And this often will lead to consequent uh, psychological illness along with that anxiety, depression, etc. Even post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, And it's because of the inflammation. And, um, you know, work on healing your intestinal tract with healing your mind. And the two are related. I can tell you, I have been prescribing mindfulness and meditation day in and day out, along with probiotic regimens for part of my gut health practice, um, with a lot of result, um, now seeing the, the results here in in COVID. So um, that's to summarize the brain-gut access. Do you guys have anything additional to add to that?
1: Well, I actually have a question for you, uh, Dr. Mark. IBS, can you uh, touch base on that? And is that similar in uh, any any section with what you just said
0: absolutely yeah ibs stands for irritable bowel syndrome which is different than inflammatory bowel disease irritable bowel syndrome is a real syndrome it has true diagnostic criterion i will say this that it is often overdiagnosed in people when they often have a organic illness So for the healthcare providers out there, make sure that you listen to your patients and do an objective evaluation for things that you can help them um, work on. But if what you're left with is uh, the, the other bucket of GI illnesses, what we call functional GI problems, which tend to be more of an electrical system process with the enteric nervous system, one of those is irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome, you can have diarrhea, constipation, or both. And what these people essentially have is the nerves inside of their GI tract feel things differently than other people. So if you say inflate a balloon in my colon, I won't feel it, I'll be fine. But if you inflate the balloon in somebody with irritable bowel syndrome, even a little bit, they will feel tremendous amounts of pain. Um, And it is because they're just wired differently. Um, It's a very complicated condition. It has to do with Uh, spasm. It has to do with the way that your gut moves and empties, and it does have to do with your microbiome. And so I think approaches to improving all of those aspects is very critical to success with these patients. Um, Let's go to the second piece of listener mail. This is from Faisal. And Faisal asks, what has been the most stressful thing for you guys during COVID-19? Rn Graham, you lead us off.
1: (laughs) Now, are we talking about in my daily life or? (laughs) I was like, do we have to just pick one? (laughs) Are we talking about my work life? Um... Yes. (laughs) All of it. Man. uh,
0: Great question, Faisal.
1: That's a fantastic question. Um, In my daily life, it's just adjusting to the fact. I'm I'm a very social person. Um, I like to be out and about, you know, um, and it's been very taxing to be stuck inside especially because of what I do as a career. Um, I work mostly with COVID patients right now in the ICU. And it's, you know, we're talking about really sick people. Um, And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of death, uh, more than I would ever want to see in my life. Mm. And it has taken a toll. It can be very, very depressing. Um, You know, the most challenging thing, my home life is fantastic. I've got wonderful kids and a wonderful wife. And when I come home from a hard day of work, there's nothing like seeing them. But when I'm at work, it's, it can be painful and you feel it in your heart. You know, you're, you're, you're watching people die by themselves. And I think that is the most difficult part. You know, you're having to hold somebody's hand and knowing that that's the last hand that they'll ever hold is yours, it's, it's rough. Um, and you're calling family members to watch their family, to watch their loved one die via zoom or, you know, some type of, you know, sorry, it's just even thinking about it, you know, it's, it just weighs on you. But to know that FaceTime is the last time you're going to see your family member and you're, you have to make that phone call. It's, it's difficult. Um, I think the worst thing now that I'm thinking about though, is having to tell somebody that, listen, you may want to, you know, consider making your family member DNR, which is do not resuscitate. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, that means that we have tried everything we can do and we don't see this person coming out of this in a functional manner, if at all. Um, And, you know, having to make that phone call and having to talk to that family member, it, it is taxing, and uh, if, if I were to say, if anything's challenging, that's the most challenging part of this whole COVID situation for me.
0: Ellie,
2: yeah, wow. I mean, how do I even follow that up? Right? That's 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 crazy um, and amazing that you are there to be with them, right? And I think that's that's a really powerful thing too. You might be the last, but you are there, and you take the time to be a part of their life too, which is very powerful for them. Um, I would say work and home are probably very different, but work is very similar for me than and gram too. You know, I'm dealing more on the, um, not necessarily direct patient care, but you know, I've been doing mostly telehealth, um, which presents its own challenges, but being there amidst, you know, a pandemic, which has, like we've said, all this anxiety and stress, um, you know, the CDC recently said that 40% of the United States ha- have um, reported just in June some kind of mental health or substance abuse, and 11% have seriously considered suicide. So it's been it's been a lot. Um, the hospitals are full. The ERs are full. Or families don't want to go to the ERs because they're afraid of getting COVID, so they're contacting us, and obviously human connection is so important and doing therapy sessions is really challenging on videos, especially when like people are like moving like this while you're trying to talk to them. And, you know, there's all these technical issues. So um, stress is high and people are looking for help and looking for answers. And I think as a healthcare professional, it's really challenging when you don't have them. And when you really, I can rely on all of my my skills and my training, but like they didn't teach you how to do telehealth during a pandemic in grad school. Um, it's, you know, it's, it just makes me feel very helpless that I can't be there for them in the way that I would like to be. Um, so that's always a challenge. I think home life too. It's just, it's the adjustment. Like RN Graham said, I think actually the biggest thing was adjusting to not being able to go to the gym. The gym was like my happy place. I went there every morning before work it put me in kind of this good mindset to deal with whatever the day has and all of a sudden poof it's gone <laughs> um it's been a blessing in disguise though because I've learned to do it at home and bought a bunch of weights and you know I do at home workouts every day and now I get to be home each morning and I don't have to drive back and forth and get annoyed by other people using equipment I want to use so that's that's <laughs> that's the plus side but you know it's just been a big adjustment and for all the listeners even those of us who preach it and talk about it day to day struggle in implementing those routines and structures all the time too. I know that was a really big adjustment for me when I first started having to work at home um, more days and going into the office. How about you, Doc Mac?
0: Yeah. So uh, first, let me just say gratitude for to both of you for sharing those really deep things. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful that, Ellie is out there to help our children. And I really am thankful that RN Graham is there to protect us in the ICU. And if you were the last person that I were to see on my <laughs> way out, I would die a happy man. So, yeah. Um, a serious, smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: um, you know, for me, I think in terms of outside of work, the hardest thing has definitely been, you know, just the, the community. Right. You know, we we have a little community here in Cleveland that we see. We have I have a big community in the United States. I have a, I'm blessed with a lot of wonderful people in my life. And, you know, I haven't really been able to see them other than through Zoom. Um, but I think technology has allowed us to all to to reconnect and to see each other. And, you know, doing the podcast is also part of that. It's really great to do that. Work, work is definitely tough. You're right. The hospitals are full. And you know, I was already part of a very busy, you know, primarily cancer practice. Now we're seeing people that sat at home for months and are coming in with unresectable cancer. So it's been a lot of bad news, but, you know, uh, like RN Graham and you were alluding to, there is a beauty to walking that person through the next stages in their life and, and allowing them to do it with grace. And I really take that part of my job seriously. And I, I take pride in that part of my job. Um, For those of you out there, if anybody does need mental health or substance abuse help, there is the Mental Health Service Administration National Helpline, which is 1-800-662-HELP. That's 4357. Again, that's 1-800-662-HELP, 4357. And there's the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. That's one 800 273 If you want to talk to any more of us, ask us questions. You can send us an email at, team at maximalbeing.com. If you want to read more about the brain gut access, about your microbiome, about anxiety during COVID times written by Ellie Mock, if you want a fitness plan that is COVID healthy from RN Graham, <laughs> shoot us a line and head on over to maximalbeing.com. Um, it was really a pleasure to share these these thoughts with both of you. Um, you know, we worked together back, back before we were in our established career, the three of us. You can imagine what that all was <laughs> Oh, is the, like. mannequins, the um, mannequins, And you got just a little taste of, of the wonderful conversations that we had every day. So thank you to you both. And um, as always, this is Doc Mock, and I am here to maximize your pathway to wellness with RN Graham and Ellie Mock-Taylor next week on the Maximal Being Podcast.
2: Um, I had been told not to lift more than 35 pounds, but um, we kind of just laughed about that and moved on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I had actually been powerlifting right before I got pregnant, and so I was probably the strongest I'd ever been in my life.
0: do us a favor, maximal beings, and leave us a comment or review. Hit the subscribe button and let your friends and family know so that we can get the word out. And until next time, this is Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness.